This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and any questions about stuff going on in your life. You need only to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. Remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You will be connected directly to our studio producer. Uh, it's Tuesday. We don't have any scheduling things to talk about, but I'm going to ask uh, my audience to indulge me for just a few minutes here at the top of the program. Um, I, we lost a friend today. Uh, Dr. Gall went to be with Jesus uh, late last night. Um, the reason it's significant to bring it up, he not only was a dear friend, but he was uh, personally, an inspiration to me. Um, this is a man. Uh, you know, we've known him for, gosh, 22, 23 years. And, uh, you know, when you go through really, really heavy stuff with people, and a lot of it, uh, and you pray for someone for so, so long, um, something really and truly happens in your heart. And uh, Dr. Gall and I, our hearts just connected many, many years ago. Uh, and, and, you know, it wasn't one of those relationships that started out all that great. He he was a, a very successful man, really a bright guy. Uh, but he wasn't a nice guy. His wife is maybe one of the two nicest women in the whole world. But um, Dr. Gall wasn't. And come to church, we talked, but it was just kind of polite. And over the years... Um, he went through some real difficult physical times, had a severe heart attack, um, complications developed. He lost um, part of a leg and then most of a leg. And then after that, he lost another leg. He was a double amputee. Um, and he just had to change everything. And the marvelous thing about watching him go through that experience was the hand of God moving on his life. Um, Dr. Gall was humbled and he responded the way godly men really respond. He fell in love with Jesus. He served whenever he could with his physical limitations. But most importantly, he would talk to me about how much he loved Lorene. He absolutely adored his wife and that wasn't always the case when there were other things, work and flesh and the other stuff going, but but her faithfulness, her prayers for him, her constant witness for Jesus just absolutely consumed his heart. She was his primary caretaker. But more than that, she was his friend. And he was a man that really didn't have a lot of friends. And Jesus changed all of that. So today, when he went into the presence of the Lord, he heard 
Jesus with a voice that sounds like many rushing waters. He heard Jesus say, good job. Hear Jesus commend him for being faithful, for being a good husband, a good father. He raised two wonderful daughters. And all I can think about is right now, Norm is looking into the eyes that I so long to look into. He's thinking, you know, Pastor Ron, he told me about heaven a lot, but he didn't know the half of it. And I'm going to miss my friend. I've been telling Jesus all day to sort of lean over and tell Norman how much I love him and how much I miss him already. But he was an example, an inspiration, because he was an example of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. He was a hero. I'm grateful to God that he's been in our lives for such a long time. Let's get to some questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls. Richard says, um, will you discuss the Lutheran doctrine of vocation in your uh, rather than feeling compelled to serve in church. Richard, I'm not an expert on Lutheran faith. I know uh, some Lutherans, and I've heard a lot about this um, doctrine of vocation. You know, well, well, I serve God when I go to work, and, and that's true. You know, we're to do all things as unto the Lord. Um, but, but one of the real weaknesses that I've observed in the lives of Lutherans, practicing Lutherans, is that they're so focused on the Eucharist, they're so focused on on the bread and the wine that that's their connection to Jesus and it sort of stops there and so they go to work like we all go to work and well I'm serving God in my profession, but that doesn't exclude other opportunities to serve and this whole idea of vocational sanctification uh, has never made any sense to me. It's almost like, well, I'm going to do what I've always done, but because now I'm a Lutheran, I'm going to do it, and that's my service for the Lord. And then when it comes to church, they don't have to serve. They don't have to, to, to minister. They don't come to church looking to be a blessing to others. And I think it's it's such a narrow view, Richard, such a narrow view. Um, we know now, Richard, that there are... There is a schism in inside the Lutheran Church. There's one group that's gone way liberal, and and uh, the other group that is more conservative. But but I think it all begins with not having a real, personal, physical relationship with Jesus Christ every day. Their relationship is is defined by the the the, the communion elements. And Jesus says, no, I want so much more for you than that. So, Richard, beyond that, I really don't know that I can discuss um, or that I have anything to add. But um, I've, I just, there's just not a lot of fruit of the Spirit that's coming out of uh, Lutheran denominational churches these days. I think we need to remember um, when Paul said to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We need to remember that that means everything we have, everything that we are, belongs to him. That we're not our own. We're bought with a price. Paul wrote that to the church at Corinth. And so we have no right to keep anything for ourselves. And that's been my limited experience with the Lutherans that I've known. Um, I have no problem with them. I'm sure they're saved. Uh, If they're born again, they're saved. But even this whole idea of being born again uh, is is uh, problematic for Lutheran doctrine. Here's a question from Bill. He said, Pastor Ron, have you heard about repentance-free churches? And then he asked, what does that mean? Um, I haven't heard that term, repentance-free churches, but um, Bill, there has been in um, uh, the latter years, uh, last decade especially, uh, sort of a turn in a lot of churches, um, um, Grace churches, and by that I mean easy grace or cheap grace churches, 
uh, where, you know, we don't want you to feel bad, so we're not going to talk about sin. Uh, and it's not necessary because you're forgiven. It's not necessary to say you're sorry. Um, and that's what it means. You know, when we went to our men's retreat last, we missed it this year, of course, because of COVID. But we actually drove by a church that's called. I mean, this is a sign on the on the on the church, non-judging church. And I thought, well, what does that mean? And what it means is that you know you can come and you're be doing anything that you're doing, uh, and and you know we're not going to judge you for it. So if you're gay, we're not going to judge you for that. If you're um, living with somebody you're not married to. Uh, we're not going to judge you for that. You know, we're here to talk about Jesus and and talk about how God wants us to feel good about ourselves. And um, um, that's as close as I know about repentance-free churches. I can say this for sure, Billy. Those are not faithful Orthodox churches. Uh, we are to confess our sins. Uh, we're we're to, to keep short accounts with the Lord. Uh, we're to make sure that there's no darkness that's allowed to live. We're to produce the fruit of the Spirit rather than the bad fruit of the flesh. And the truth of the matter is, if we're, if we're in the flesh, uh, Billy, we need to feel guilty. I always say that guilt is a good thing if you are guilty. Um, but guilt, rather than condemnation, guilt leads you to Christ. Condemnation draws you away from Christ. And the worst thing that we can do is misrepresent God uh, and his seriousness about personal holiness simply to make people feel good about themselves. We know that people living in sin do not feel good about themselves, no matter how hard their heart gets. But it's the church's job to confront sin. And I don't mean get in people's face, uh, but I'll tell you, Billy, here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, as we teach through the Bible verse by verse, um, you can't get away with being convicted. I mean, you've got to tune me completely out, or any of our Bible teachers for that matter. You've got to tune us completely out because we're talking about the need to repent. We're talking about the need to get right and to stay right with God. We talk a lot about this process of sanctification. And what we need to do is remember that we are obligated to tell people the truth and the whole truth. And we do that by calling out sin, letting people know that if they sin, they have an advocate with God, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he ever lives to intercede on our behalf. And all we have to do to take advantage of that is to ask for forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9 is in every Bible. It's in the continuous present tense. If we continue to confess our sins, God is going to be faithful continually to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the idea of of uh, not repenting, uh, not judging, is so foreign to any kind of a church gathering that the Bible describes. So, Billy, that's uh, really all I know. It's a little sad, actually, to hear that there is actually possibly an organization of, of uh, repentance-free churches, whatever they mean by that. Meredith has a really hard question. What do you think about convicted sex offenders being allowed to come to church? Meredith, every pastor has had this question, this problem come up. And here is the the arguments that, that we get on both sides. First, um, I want to be sure that nothing I say is going to be uh, misconstrued as me being soft on uh, sexual offenders. Um, that is the farthest thing from the truth. Um, on the other hand, Jesus died for the sins of the world, and there is no sin that can't be forgiven or shouldn't be forgiven. And so if somebody is a convicted sex offender, they can come to Christ, they can ask for forgiveness, they can be forgiven, Jesus can come into their heart, and then they can... Um, they're going to be in heaven. And I think somebody who's going to be in heaven, in heaven ought to be free to come to our church. I want sinners to be here. Now, when we know, Meredith, about sex offenders, and we have in the past, um, behind the scenes, you have no idea how much is going on to make sure that they're not in a position to hurt anybody, 
or to be tempted by anybody. Um, we've got eyes on everywhere. Um, and, and, and typically, when we have that conversation with someone who comes forward and, and says, you know, I'm a convicted sex offender and I'm reporting this to you, that's my responsibility, and they're willing to accept that responsibility, we let them know. Um, we, you know, we'll love you, we'll help you get healthy in your walk with the Lord, but because of what you've done, because of the heinous nature of what you've done, um, we're going to be watching you. You can never be around children. You can never be alone in this church, just wandering around. And we will have men with their eyes on you continually from the minute you get in the building till the, till the time you leave. So I, I think we've got, as Christians, Meredith, to take the biblical position, as offensive as it is to so many, that um, all sins are forgivable, and we have to give all people willing to ask Jesus for forgiveness an opportunity to come. We can't hang a sign on the door that says, all sinners can come in except sex offenders. I realize all the statistics about recidivism rates, I realize that apart from the power of God, there is no way they can change. No no way they even want to change. But I also understand that the Holy Spirit is Almighty God. And when he comes comes upon somebody, that transformation can begin to occur. So there's not a special class of sinner that is excluded permanently from heaven. I will also say this. Meredith, we we realize that God knows real hearts. God knows what their intentions are. And while we want to be as diligent as we can, God is going to protect his people. So we are motivated. We take the initiative to do our part. And we know that God is going to protect. Now, final comment on this. Um, Meredith, depending on where you're coming from, I'm sure you know already that um, churches are targets for sex offenders. Typically because we have very lax security, because we're trusting, want to believe the best about everybody. And some churches are just so happy to have people sitting in the chairs that, you know, it's just like, hey, welcome, bro, welcome. And, um, you know, we have to be diligent in protecting the children. And we do that with policies here um, that we're very serious about. So there's no no satisfactory answer to this question. Um, I can just say this, and I can only speak for this church. Um, when we know there are sex offenders here, Everybody is on guard, and eyes are on them, and nobody has a chance to be alone from the time they get here until the time they leave. So we have to be careful. Parents, by the way, also need to do their due diligence. If in a church setting, that would be harder here, but in a in a large church where there's all kinds of of uh, room to separate, uh, I, I think you know parents if they see strange. Adults hanging around their kids, they need to draw a pastor's attention to it. No pastor wants their children to be in danger. Some of us do a better job than others of being on guard. But I think the one thing that we have to agree on, Meredith, is that we cannot say that is the unforgivable sin and you can never come to church again. I'll tell you a quick story. I don't think I have anybody on the line, do I? Okay, nobody on the phone. We're waiting for your phone calls, by the way. But um, we had a man who came to me, and this is this goes back now um, 20 years or more. Um, and he said, um, can I talk to you? Um, first time we've been to church. Um, we had an evening service on Sunday, so he set up a time to come a little bit early so we could talk. And he told me, he said, um, I'm a convicted sex offender. I I committed a crime against one of my daughters. I have pled guilty to it. I've accepted the responsibility to it. And I am going to be sentenced. And it was like 60 or 90 days away. And he said, and I want to get right with God. 
I mean, he didn't hold back anything. He said, I want to get right with God. And we told him that we would help him get right with God. We wanted, if he's going to go to prison, we wanted Jesus to be there for him and with him. And um, for whatever it was, the 60 to 90 days that he was there, he was involved in the church all the time when the doors are open. Uh, he seemed his heart really open. He was scared enough that his heart was really open to seek the Lord. And we wanted to be there for him. Got sentenced to 20 years. And, of course, we haven't seen him. Um, I think he's still in prison. But but um, um, there are consequences. And in some sins, the consequences are super, super severe. And that was just one of them. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Rob. He says, um, Pastor Ron, I've just become a youth pastor and would welcome any advice you might have for me. Um, Rob, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Here's the, 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 the best advice I can give you is don't be cool. Just teach the Bible. Remember that you're representing Jesus. Don't try to be cool. Don't try to be the hip pastor. Don't try to make friends of the people that you minister to. Just teach them the word. Just teach them the word. Um, young people, junior high and high school ages in particular, um, they're, they're quickly drawn to their, their youth pastors. Um, I tell our youth pastors that they're never to be alone with a kid, ever. They're never to um, drive somebody home by themselves um, if, if there's a, a, a problem. Um, um, my youth pastors, um, for the most part, have always been married. I told them they're to minister with their wives uh, to the youth um, and make sure that everybody knows who they are. And... Um, what we we have to we've got to protect the kids. We've got to protect ourselves. But so often, I said, "Don't be cool." A moment ago, uh, so many guys come and try to be the popular pastor. And what what the kids need, Rob, is to be taught the word. So you teach the word. You live the word. You make sure that your sin is taken care of. That you've repented. And then just love them and pray for them. But remember, it's a great privilege, but it's also a great responsibility. And that advice really needs to be um, taken seriously. Don't be cool. Just teach them the Word of God. Let's go to um, let's go to Jim on line one from San Antonio. Jim, thanks for calling. Uh, if we have to extend you over the break, you told me you'd stay. Okay, so Jim, you're on the air. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Can you hear me? I can hear you well, thanks. Great. The follow-up question to there's no unforgivable sin, and I cannot uh, remember the chapter or verse, but I remember reading that there is one unforgivable sin, and I want you to help me clarify that, and that would be the rejection of the Holy Spirit. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jim, the word is the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus um, um, says uh, is the only unforgivable sin. So blasphemy would be cursing or rejecting, I guess. Yeah, yeah not, not cursing, rejecting. The, the, the idea here is pretty clear. Um, the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting the work the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus to do. Jesus said, when he comes, he will testify of me. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And when we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, the only way we can do that is to die in that condition. If we die not having received Jesus Christ, then there's no remedy left for sin. So this isn't using our mouth. It's not, not using curse words uh, or taking God's name in vain. It's rejecting the work that the Holy Spirit was sent here to do, and, and he came to draw men and women to Jesus Christ. If we die in that condition, then there is no remedy left for sin, and we are lost forever. Does that make sense? Thank, 
thank you so much for clarifying that for me, Pastor Ron. My pleasure, hey, happy Jim. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank- We've got a lot to you- be thankful for. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> You're right. We do. Thank you. You know, Jim, I, I get calls from people who think they've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's the enemy. It's just kind of the way he works. And nobody who's still alive has committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If you've got breath, then it's not too late to turn to Jesus Christ. The problem, of course, is we don't know when that last breath is going to be. So now is the time to receive Jesus Christ. But that's the only unpardonable sin. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday show. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Santa for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to our final 30 minutes today 340-9585 here is a question from email just came in from thomas Uh, good afternoon pastor ron before i ask a question and i wouldn't normally read this but i have a reason for reading it He said, before I ask a question, I want to take a minute to thank Jesus for the tech ministry. Because of work, I'm not able to go to church every Sunday, but when I can't, they're always there with the next best thing. So thank you, Rhoda, David, and their crews, and thank you, Jesus. I wanted to sing that. You have no idea the contribution that these men and women make to uh, our church life, our body life. Um, They work so hard. Um, they're so gifted. I, you know, uh, I always laugh. God has a sense of humor. Uh, I'm the least technical person you know. Somebody sent me a bunch of documents, um, docu-signing, whatever that call, whatever that means. So you you sign them and you uh, and you send them back. And but but I said, well, how am I going to sign my iPad screen? So I'm trying to use a pen. I'm trying to use my finger, and I have no idea what all that means. Well. Because I'm such a dummy about those things, God sent our little church a wealth, a treasure of gifted, truly, truly gifted tech people. And it's been that way the whole time. So we've really had um, a wonderful, we've been wonderfully blessed. And I want to thank them as well. So Thomas, thank you for uh, thanking Jesus for them, and I know you're praying for him. Here's his question. He said, back in the old days, during the Exodus, Thomas has a good sense of humor, uh, the old days. I guess that's the old days. Moses would go up the mountain to speak with God. Moses heard God speaking, but the children of Israel only heard thunder. When John baptized Jesus, the Father spoke from heaven. The whole countryside was there, including some of the Pharisees. So why didn't they hear the declaration from heaven? Is that maybe just that they heard thunder, or maybe some did hear the voice of God and others didn't? So um, we don't know for sure, Thomas, what they heard. Um, Paul um, heard the voice of God and others around him in his in his uh, conversion experience. Others heard what sounded like thunder. That's what the voice of God sounded like. It's indiscernible apart from relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, I believe that Peter, James, and John heard the voice of the Father say, this is my son, listen to him on the Mount of Trans- Transfiguration because he was addressing Peter when Peter was saying, let's build three tabernacles. We can have, uh, we, we can stay here like he wanted to have his own little retreat with Moses and Elijah and Jesus. So, um, in order to hear God, um, you have to have a relationship with him. And the ones that couldn't hear, the ones that are confused by what they saw or what they heard, 
Um, they heard because there was this metaphorical veil covering their heart, and they didn't. Um, when the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, at his baptism, um, I'm sure there was a lot of thunder there. But the people that God wanted to hear could hear. So, Thomas, I think you're right in your summation. Some did, some didn't. Um, but, but we just can't be sure who they were. And then Thomas, with the P.S., he says, if you didn't get any banana pudding for Thanksgiving, let me know and I'll make you one. Thomas, I'm officially letting you know. You are, <laughs> you volunteered. I'm officially letting you know. I didn't get any banana pudding for Thanksgiving or for anything. I haven't had it for a long time. And he knows that's my favorite dessert. Thank you, Thomas. God bless you for that. And by the way, he will bless you for that if you get me some banana pudding. <laughs> Let's go to Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Well, chocolate pudding's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wasn't calling. He wasn't calling for you, Jimmy. So butt out. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you. Hey, do you um, you think they're eventually going to take away our place of worship and take it away from us, even online? You know, Jimmy, I'm 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 slow to make predictions like that because a lot of things I thought would never happen have already happened. Uh, I think there is going to be a concerted effort with this new administration. Uh, I think the the left is going to be emboldened, and I think they are going to do anything and everything they can to close down churches. Now, I don't think it will be a, we're closing churches, religion is outlawed. I don't think it's that kind of thing. But I think in the name of public health, or in the name of public safety, I think that's what they're going to do. It's what they've been doing. Speaking of that, I was talking to a friend of mine in California today, and I was asking, I said, I know there's a whole bunch of churches that have been meeting in civil disobedience uh, in California. Uh, some of them are, are really good friends of mine. And uh, I, I just said, so So, how has it been the last two Sundays since they really tightened up and, and, and made all these threats? He said, well, we're still meeting. But he said, you know, we're a small church, but there is so much pressure on the larger churches, so much pressure uh, for them to comply. And I think what they're so interested in is controlling us to the point where um, it's... it's um, it's just becoming so obvious uh, what their intent is. So, Jimmy, I, I, I don't think it'll be against the law. I think our Constitution is going to insulate us from that. But I think they're going to take other approaches and they're going to do the best they can to make it really, really difficult. Thank God we live in a state where the governor is a Republican. And better than that, he is a born-again Christian. And I don't know a whole lot about Greg Abbott, but 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 I know those things. And if, uh, he is uh, bound to determine we're not closing the state down again under any circumstances. And he is, of course, a big supporter. Even when things were really um, um, being being locked down, um, he was still saying, "I'm not going to issue um, laws that keep churches closed." And and we know that local authorities tried to do that and. And uh, the governor thwarted their attempts to do it. So, t- Jimmy, that's just what I think. But um, believe me, things are changing so quickly um, that that uh, all of this could be in our future. I can tell you one thing, that the church is going to be persecuted as never before in the United States. And I think personally that has already begun. So thank you, Jimmy. God bless you. Good to hear from you. Let's go to our friend Tanya in San Leandro, California. Tanya, thanks for calling. Good to hear from you. Hi, Papa. How are you guys doing over there? We're doing really, really well. Thank you. Well, that's fantastic. Um, happy Thanksgiving early. Um, before and, I forget, I wanted to tell you uh-huh. guys that. Um, but I have a question for you, Papa. So I I have, um, and I know that when you know the nature and character of God, things seem very clear. Um, and the reason why I'm, because so yesterday you had a question about a gentleman who had asked if uh, Acts, I can't remember what uh, chapter it was, 
he said, is my whole family, it was a, the, the guard, um, mm-hmm. and he asked if, if the gentleman's entire family would be saved. Um, yes. Acts chapter so, 16. Yes, sir. And so my, my, cause back then the tradition was that the man, uh, picked and you had to use the word religion, right? Had picked mm-hmm. that religion, but everybody still had to make a profession, correct? They still had to yes. say, I accept Christ. Okay. So this leads to my next question. So when we look at how things have evolved, right? You know, where the man could say, this is going to be our religion and it is. And, you know, through time, I know that God never changes, and thank God for that, right? Because who wants a God that changes? So mm-hmm. when, when people try to use that we're not with the times, like, for example, um, you know, it, it's when people say there's certain things not addressed in, in the Bible, like pedophilia and this and that. And I say, well, if you know the nature and character of God, then you'll know his stance on, on what he believes. But why, why is it that it seems like it's this slippery slope that, well, people will say, well, that's not specific, like, for example, verbal abuse. You know, you've got, I've got people that I really do, you know, at one time really valued uh, what they thought and, 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 you know, saying, well, that's grounds for divorce. I said, well, no, it's not. You know, and, and so how do you, and I don't want to, I'm not going to argue with anybody. That's not what we do, right? It takes two to argue, as you always say. But mm-hmm. my question is, how is it we're 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 getting this this way? And, and I understand that cultures change, but how are we to continue to stay the course? If that makes sense, does my question make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense, and it's I think identifies Tanya the biggest problem that we have in our church culture. In the twenty five years I've been doing this, we've watched churches. Um, uh, figuratively tear pages out of their Bibles when, when things become uncomfortable. And as we, we dismiss things that are clear in, this, in Scripture, then we're going to be convinced by the message that the world is sending to us. If we spend more time in the world, if we spend more time with the world than we do in the Word of God, and the Word of God is our compass point, it's our true north. And if we lose sight of that, then we're all of us going to be influenced and affected by um, the prevailing attitudes of the world that we live in. Um, it, it, and it's that black and white. And the, and the man or the woman that says uh, verbal abuse is grounds for divorce, they don't understand what a tough world that they lived in in, in uh, the time, the first century when the Bible was written. Um, you know, there's sometimes God tells us just to toughen up and to grow up and to lean on him. First Peter chapter 3 is written to address one of those situations. But it's simply a matter of do we believe the Bible? Uh, I'm, I'm going to be teaching uh, in the next few months in, in First Corinthians chapter 6 uh, where, where God says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Um, I can't tell you how many Christians completely dismiss that as being a command from God. Well, you know, God loves everybody, and who knows, maybe maybe I'll save him or I'll save her. And and we see, no, this is what God's Word says. Um, a, a believer's suing one another, again, in 1 Corinthians. Why not rather be wronged? Oh, I can't be wronged. You know, I'm right, and I need justice. And I, so it's just that we've thrown away the Bible. Blessed are the peacemakers. Happy are the peacemakers. We keep searching for happiness, but we throw away the scriptures that tell us what the, the true road to happiness and blessing really is. So, Tanya, it's, it's as simple as that. The, the people that hold, as I know you do, to the, 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 the word of God, and, and this is, these are our marching orders. They are not suggestions. Um, if we bathe ourselves in the word, we hide his word in our heart, David says, then uh, we'll find ourselves strong in the faith. But... Uh, if we drift away, we will be convinced in the world. Uh, the, the, the homosexuality argument, now transgender arguments, uh, where you've got churches who are affirming and approving and we don't want to judge anybody and you can come here and you can be who you are. Those are churches that have long since thrown away the word of God and they have become apostate. Jesus said, if you make one of my little ones stumble, it would be better that you never were born. And, and and we we simply just throw those things out if we don't like them. And that's what leads to this. Tanya, one other thing. 
you said pedophilia is not um, um, addressed in Scripture. It is. It is sexual immorality. Um, it's a very general Greek word, porneia. We get our English word pornography from it. And, and uh, it, it's all kinds of sex uh, outside of marriage. And God condemns them and says that people who live like this won't inherit the kingdom of God. So we've, we've got only to be committed to the word and we won't stray. But the minute we loosen our grip on what the word says, then we're, we're going to be led astray. And that's what's happened in our church culture. Tanya, it's great to hear from you. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Please tell uh, Carlos and Marcus that we love them and can't wait till we get to see them again pretty soon. Here is a question anonymously. I empathize with this one. I'm having pretty evil dreams, and in those dreams I commit terrible sins. Do I need to repent of my dreams? When I said anonymous, I, I have empathy with you, is I'm a guy that has evil dreams. I mean, just wicked, wicked stuff. Um, and and even when it's not super, super wicked, they're, they're just so uncomfortable. Um, and, and for me, it's nearly a nightly event. So I really get it. But remember, we need to repent of actual sin. And what happens in your subconscious that you have no control over is not a sin. You can't help the thoughts the enemy puts in, the, the thoughts that he plants. I'm convinced, Anonymous, that, um, that, that, that the devil's assigned a little demon to, to take my mind crazy places while I'm asleep. That's not my fault. So I wake up, I shake my head, and I say, Lord, protect my dreams and, and my nightmares and try to get back to sleep. Um, but, but we only need to repent of the sins that we're actually guilty of committing. That's really important. Um, otherwise, the enemy will try to heap all kinds of condemnation on you. Um, what happens in your subconscious, what happens while you're asleep is not your fault. Um, how you react to it uh, is, is uh, your responsibility. And God, who is greater than anything going on um, in the spirit realm otherwise, um, he'll, he'll, he, he understands. So, you do not need to repent of your dreams. You need only to cling close to the Lord. And every night when I go to sleep, I feel like I'm I'm going into a battlefield. And um, it's just one of those things you got to be, be prepared for. It is um, spiritual warfare. By the way, tomorrow night's Bible study, we're going to close out Isaac's life uh, in, uh, in at least the, the, the chapter about Isaac. Uh, we're going to close it out tomorrow. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare. Um, chapter 26 in the book of Genesis is a great opportunity uh, to to really look and see what happens to the man or the woman who is trying to follow God with all their heart and the spiritual warfare that we're going to endure. And uh, Isaac gives us some really, really valuable lessons on how to respond uh, in spiritual warfare. Hey, Tanya, if you're still listening, one other thing I want to say to you. When when um, somebody tells you that verbal abuse is um, grounds for divorce, um, uh, ask them to show you in the Bible where it is. And of course, they're getting that from friends or from parents or from secular counselors, uh, but they're not getting it uh, from the Word of God. And hopefully they're not getting it from their pastors as well. Samantha asked this question, why are some churches meeting when the government is not given us permission to do so? Well, Samantha, something you have to remember is that our government's local. Um, we don't have to have permission from them to meet. Our permission is given by our Constitution, by our founding fathers. That's really important. So when the Constitution says they shall make no law concerning are assembling together concerning religious activity, and they do, well, then they're the ones in violation. And I think in times like that, civil disobedience is uh, appropriate. Um, again, not, not the crazy stuff we see the, the rioters and the protesters doing, but civil disobedience. 
And uh, I have said here uh, on the air here that uh, if we're ordered, if, if we were to be ordered, as my friends in California are uh, or have been ordered, to, to uh, close the church, not meet indoors under any circumstances during this, this uh, quarantine pandemic um, um, age here, um, uh, I've told our church and made it clear on this air that, that I would exercise civil disobedience. Um, that's a, a right that we have. Paul used um, um, civil disobedience, personal civil disobedience, uh, when uh, when they just wanted to get rid of him after after him being stoned. Um, um, it, it's just it's it's something that we have the right to do. It's a tool that we've been given to fight. So remember, our permission comes from God and not and from our Constitution and not uh, local. Um, or state governments. Now, having said that, um, I've had this question or some form of it probably half a dozen times in the last month, Samantha. And um, there are a lot of churches who have closed, uh, some closed in March for the remainder of, of the year, 2020. Uh, I expect that the way things are going, many of those churches will remain closed. Um, some of the churches that reopen have lost a lot of people. I know that because we've got people coming to our church from churches that are closed uh, every week. Um, and I just think we, we simply have to um, understand what we've been sent to do by God. The church, Samantha, is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And if we don't, um, if we take away the pillar and foundation of the truth from the people of God, what's left? And I've heard all of the arguments, Pastor Ron, you just don't care about people's health. You're not being safe. You're being selfish. Uh, you know, this has nothing to do with money God has provided for his churches uh, during this time of pandemic. Um, this has nothing to do with egotistical pastors wanting big crowds. Um, the people need to gather together in fellowship. We're commanded in Hebrews chapter 10 to do that. We're commanded to teach the word. You've got gifts, Samantha, and you can't use those gifts if there isn't a church body to use them in partnership with. Those are very important things to consider. So, uh, the churches like ours that are meeting, I had a, an email from a pastor friend of mine in Northern California uh, just this morning, and he was saying, I heard you had an outbreak, and I, I said, yeah, we had an outbreak way back in June, so are you only doing live streaming since then? I said, no, we shut down for two weeks until we were all out of quarantine, and and then we immediately came back, and, um, and, and you know, I'm, I'm guessing we're probably at 70% now. Uh, of our pre-COVID attendance uh, and our online business is um, just through the roof. So um, we're, we're doing what we're supposed to do. And and it's so much better, Samantha, to be in the house of God. Now, again, I want to be clear. Anyone and everyone who is uh, in an Im- immune uh compromising position needs to stay away. You need to be safe. If you have diabetes, if you have asthma, you need to be safe. If you're um, taking chemo treatments or radiation treatments for cancer, you need to stay away because your immune system has is, is, is really been attacked. But for the rest of us, the overwhelming majority of us, we need to get out of our homes, get dressed, get in church, and use the gifts God has given us and hear the Bible being taught. Christians are not doing well in isolation. And as a pastor, that breaks my heart because it's sort of a self-imposed exile and it's fear keeping people in. So there are people that have every legitimate reason to stay home, and we encourage them to do so. We love them, and we don't want them to take unnecessary risks. The problem is the Christians who don't have the legitimate reasons and they're just staying home either because they've grown lazy, spiritually speaking, or they've let fear keep them inside 
instead of following the will of God for their lives. We just don't do very well out of fellowship. We don't do very well in isolation. And we've seen it over and over and over. This is past a couple of weeks. We've had a lot of people come back who haven't been here since March because they were afraid. And they're honest enough to come to me and admit it. I just haven't been here. We've just been afraid. And tears rolling down their eyes because they're, they're or down their cheeks because they're so happy to be here. It's just like, oh, breath of fresh air. This is what I've needed. And, and we all need to be in fellowship with one another. So I hope that makes sense to you. Brenda, this will be my last question of the day. Brenda says, are you familiar with a book called The Beautiful Side of Evil? If so, can I have your thoughts? Actually, I am familiar with it. It's written by a, a woman named uh, Johanna um, Michelson. She was, um, at one point, the ex-wife of, of Hal Lindsey, who wrote The Late Great Planet Earth. Uh, and I've actually heard her speak um, on that book uh, at Bible College many, many years ago. Uh, and um, it's, it's a lot of nonsense. And um, it's a f- good story. But uh, it's just kind of got a whole lot of charismatic voodoo in it so I wouldn't pay much attention to it Brenda at all I would um, find something better to read so I hope that answers your question hey we're about out of here for the day you're going to hear the music at any moment now Um, please keep the Gall family in your prayers as as they are mourning the loss of a husband a father and a grandfather Uh, keep Calvary Chapel keep me in prayer when we're mourning the loss of a dear friend May the Lord bless you and keep you. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.